We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Cheneo Gwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. And for the second time this season, we get to come to you for a quick reaction, quick takeaways podcast after a W. The New York Giants have now gone to 2-7 and seven with a win over the Washington football team. If only the Giants could play the Washington football team every week of every season. They might be a 10-6. I don't know. They might be a 16-0 team. The Giants have now won four straight against Washington football team. Daniel Jones is 4-0 against the Washington football team and only has one other win this in his career so far. That was against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. His first game of the season on the blown field goal at the end, the chip shot that Tampa missed. Um, so ultimately, this is the best matchup that the Giants can find, clearly. Um, but before we get into the game, I do want to address the top of the show with that unbelievably loud train noise that you hear in the background we apologize for that uh there is a train station nearby where nick is recording from and that thing rings loud in our ears every podcast and i can't tell you how disappointed disgusted and angered nick gets when he hears this train i've heard him say some really nasty things that won't reach this podcast ever about the train conductors he feels behind the scenes that some conductors are bigger douches than others and loudly, certainly yeah, <laughs> he's certainly now, certainly. he's convinced it's a conspiracy that the train conductors are here to, you know, 
make our lives miserable. But hopefully you guys can listen through that part. And I did want to start and address something at the top of the show. My apologies are due for Sir Alfred Morris, the, <laughs> the, the man, the myth, the legend, on the wrong side of 30, the former undrafted free agent, who made me eat my words. Obviously, everyone knows, had a little bit of a, an infamous rant last podcast about Alfred Morris. There was a lot of emotion coming, riding after that game, that loss that I felt the Giants should have won. They should have taken down the Buccaneers. They should have been the team to expose the Buccaneers, not the Saints who just did so on Sunday Night Football. We're recording after Sunday Night Football. It should have been the Giants, and I was so disappointed when I saw Alfred Morris out there. I thought he lacked burst. I thought he lacked wiggle. And while I wasn't so convinced he had any of those things today, I did see one thing out of the the traits that I mentioned. He had more burst today. He definitely showed more burst. It looked like he had his legs under him. It looked like he, you know, was getting more rounding into game shape. Lower body looks good. Definitely had some and obviously, he the vision is there for a running back like him. I mean, he is a guy who's made a career on vision. It is not the longest career. He's been out of the, in and out of the NFL. I think he had one carry last season, or it was either I think it was one carry for five yards with the Arizona Cardinals. I think that was his 2019 season. But regardless, with what I said about him, he deserves an apology. He went nine carries for 67 yards today for 7.4 yards. Now, do I like Alfred Morris moving forward or even this season? Personally, no. I still stand by my take. I'm apologizing him because I was so over the top with it but I don't see the value of him still he is a nothing in the passing game he will never factor into their long-term plans there's no role for him long term and again I would rather try to find a diamond in the rough in these last eight games remember this is a two and seven team they enter today one and seven we need to be thinking about the future with this Giants team I know it's fun to get a win today and they are still in the mix in the disgusting NFC East but Ultimately, this is more about the future of this roster, at least the way I am evaluating this roster, than this season. So I don't, I'm not going that far. I made a joke on Twitter, sign him to a four-year contract, do it quickly before his market value shoots up and we get into a bidding war in free agency. But he deserves an apology. He played well today. So did Wayne Gallman, who had 4.9 yards per carry, despite having 14 carries, a lot of those in the latter half of the game. And I think I want to start there, Nick. Are we starting to see a trend with this offensive line winning at the point of attack because now we made the not excuse but we made the qualification last game that we were, they were facing a Buccaneers defense without Vita Vea but this de- there's no qualifications for this game this Washington football team front is healthy and extremely talented and the Giants kind of own the point of attack in the run game. They went 35 carries, 166 yards, 4.7 yards per carry, and that includes the two-yard run by Eli Penny just to get the first down. That includes some Daniel Jones runs for 0.7 yards. The running backs themselves average nearly uh, well over five yards per carry, and that includes some garbage runs. So, I mean, what are we starting to make of this offensive line right now as they enter Week 9? We have to give credit where credit's due, and hopefully this is... uh speaks to Mark Colombo maybe, you know, with the season kind of progressing and these players, these younger players getting much more a lot of more experience under their belt, maybe they're um finally finding their groove because this is two consecutive weeks now, one being on a short week against like you said, a pretty talented defensive line where the Giants were owning the line of scrimmage up front and there's a lot to be said for that. We're not used to that as Giant fans. It's not something we're used to seeing and I think maybe some, it has something to do with the fact that the Giants are doing really unique things with their personnel packages within their offensive line. You saw Chad Slade in there. We see Matt Parrott just keep coming in there in relief of Cam Fleming. I think he actually went in for relief of Andrew Thomas for two series. And that's 
kind of ridiculous when you think about it. You have this, what, the 99th overall pick in this draft. He's coming in as this rotational offensive lineman. It's not something that we're used to seeing from an offensive line group, but whatever they're doing, it's it's working right now. I don't believe it's just because Will Hernandez isn't in the lineup and Shane Lemieux is, but I have to see the All-22. I, I know people like to make that correlation, and, you know, you think about it, it makes sense, but that's not where I'm going to go unless, you know, we dive into this All-22 and Shane Lemieux is plowing people over, which I don't necessarily think, but whatever they're doing right right now, they got to keep doing it, and they got to keep building off of it, and I would like to see more Matt Parrott. There's a lot to unpack, I think, when it comes to the Giants' offensive line in this game, and then when you combine it with what we saw last game, kind of the carryover there, as they had that extra week leading up to Monday Night Football. So I want to kind of break each one of those down uh, in more in depth. So I want to start with the first thing you said. In the offseason, we both got excited about the decision to hire Mark Colombo. We liked the work he did with the Dallas offensive line. We liked the fact that he was a former offensive lineman. He could relate to these guys. We liked the fact that he was going to bring more power and gap concepts to this rushing attack. And I think when you pick up an offensive line as a coach and you have to install a brand new system like Jason Garrett and he did, and you're going into a system that basically and predominantly used inside zone last season— It could take some time to gel and get the timing down in the run game. Now, that is kind of thrown a little bit out of whack when you consider the fact that they're moving in a left guard. Like you said, they're rotating the three tackles. That sort of throws that idea out of whack. But I still think, regardless, they're learning a new system. They're learning more, they're, they're, you know, a more diverse run game from a blocking standpoint. And I think it's starting to show that it's starting to gel there. I think that's really interesting. So, did the Giants hit on Colombo? We know they hit on Patrick Graham. We like some of those positional coaches on the defensive side of the ball a lot, especially the linebackers and the and the edge and the edge coaches there. So, did they also hit on Colombo? It's starting to me at least to look like they did. When we and we'll get to him when we break down the improvements they're starting to see with Andrew Thomas, who I thought at least from the broadcast angle had another really excellent game and really really positive signs. Because the big thing with Thomas is the consistency. So if he did in fact string together a second straight positive game, that's what you want to see. You don't want to see one good game then regress back you and then back and forth and pinball. What you're starting to see is him stringing together positive. Uh, progression from the coaching maybe in my mind and also if you're going to use what joe judge is doing and i don't know whose decision it is joe judges mark lumbos i don't care i am all on board with the decision to rotate tackles and even we saw one series with chad slade in there at guard i believe correct right yes yes in in for chain lemieux so I love that idea. Why can't you do that? You know, I love these outside the box type coaching decisions. I hate when people box you in. The NFL is played this way. It has to be played this way. The best coaches and the best innovators in this sport are the ones who go outside of the box and figure out ways. So there's no nothing that says you have to play those five every single snap of every single game. So I like, like you said, the rotation. And then to just address the last thing you broke down there, I agree. Matt Pert continues to prove that he belongs on the field more and more. Now, this could be their plan the whole season where he's kind of playing low man on the totem pole from a rotation standpoint from the snap standpoint because obviously as you mentioned Andrew Thomas missed a couple series at left tackle where Pert replaced him and I believe Pert replaced uh, Fleming for one series at right tackle so overall Fleming had the most snaps I believe of these tackles we'll have to wait to see the snap counts to confirm that but having said that I think they should start to work uh, Pert even more into the fact that this may be an even rotation with Fleming and Pert and then maybe you give Fleming one more series on the right side. You put Pert in for one for Thomas or two for Thomas, something like that. But I agree. I want to see more Matt Pert. And it also, when you're going up against really skilled edge rushers, it doesn't take them long to figure out certain tendencies and what certain offensive linemen are doing. And it's kind of a way to stymie 
the pass rusher's ability to kind of develop a plan against a specific tackle if you have tackles that are comparable and you can put them out there and they're not going to be huge liabilities then those tackles can offer a bunch of different types of ways to deploy their own sets and their own way of blocking against these pass rushers and it could you know stop these pass rushers from really hitting on a certain counter move or something like that they have to kind of keep adjusting their own game against the uh the offense and it's a kind of a way to put them on their toes especially when it's a mismatch like these pass rushers against these giants tackles but before we continue let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor even though sports had a break your business didn't you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever indeed is here to help indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month. Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over three million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. All one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. All one word. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, that's another excellent point, Nick. I mean, you give them that versatility, or I'm sorry, you give them that diversity, and it makes it harder to game plan against. It it makes it harder to guess, as you will, against what is going to happen in each given play. And I think, you know, in relation to that, as we move forward, the second half, maybe I would bucket it in a very different place than the first half because I believe the Giants, just like they did the first time they faced the Washington football team, played a more conservative second half, maybe on purpose, which is fine because it ended up resulting in a win. Again, I have my own long-term concerns about doing this in win- in more winnable seasons where they're a more competitive football team, not a 2-7 and seven team. I don't like that style of coaching. I never will. But in this game, it worked. It did specifically work against a backup, uh, a backup backup, I guess you will, in Alex Smith, who we'll get to soon because, let's be honest, the guy threw for 325 on just 32 attempts, 10.2 yards per uh, attempt. That is not a good sign, from my opinion, for the Giants. Eagles. We're going to get to that on that side of that ball. Um, but back to the offensive side of the ball in the first half when they didn't have that more conservative game plan i thought 
credit where credit's due. Jason Garrett came out with a really nice game plan. I love the first play of the game, the Shepard 18-yard, not the first play of the game, but the Shepard 18-yard end around early in the game. I believe it was the third play of the game. That's an awesome play because it's exactly what I'm looking for. It's what he showed last game in some degree with those throwback plays. He got the defense moving in one direction with Jones throwing that fake screen out after the motion to, I believe, Ingram, and then flips it back to Shepard, and he has a clear lane. Those were the type of calls. And when you factor that in also with the fact that, listen, look at the game plan. In the first half, the Giants moved the ball through the air. They had the big play to Austin Mack, who I definitely want to touch on because I really, me and you really like what we saw there from Austin Mack. Let's just start by saying that, but then we'll get more deep into it. But overall, they were able to move the ball in the air and then consistently, with the exception of a couple penalties that slowed them down or sacks, they're able to move the ball pretty consistently. And I think Garrett deserves some credit there, especially when you consider that he has these two tackles who, you know, going into last week against the Bucks, were allowing the most pressures in the NFL of any tackles in the NFL, one and two. And yet, we didn't hear Chase Young's name that much this game. We didn't hear Ryan Kerrigan's name that much. You know, we didn't hear Montez's Sweat's name that much. When it comes to pressure, to me, it kind of looked like the pressure wasn't really there. Again, remember, the second half was a very conservative game plan, so like they didn't have as many opportunities there, and they were playing behind the whole game. So that helps the offensive line and the offense agreed. But at the same time, that's partly in the first half due to the game plan. And I thought that was another tip in the cap to a guy who I haven't given many tips in the cap to, Jason Garrett. Like you said, I thought it was another somewhat conservative game plan, and I thought there were creative plays. I do like how the first play of the second drive, it was that deep shot to Austin Mack, which was a really good throw from Daniel Jones. You want to see that from Jones, that that horrendous game he had on Monday Night Football. You want to see him bounce back and find Mack down the field like that. And Mack, I mean, we could just dive into him right now if you want to. He moves a lot faster than I expected for a bigger-bodied guy. This guy's, what, a shade under 6'2"? He has a nice size. He has a good catch radius. All the things we kind of talked about him when he came over to the Giants as an undrafted free agent. And he's a player that, I think he ran like, what, a 4-6? It wasn't anything too impressive. But he moves a little bit faster than that. He has a nice wiggle to him. I really like this player as somebody who can kind of come in here and assist this Giants offense in in a limited role. Yeah, I actually am pretty excited about Austin Mack, and I'll tell you why. If you look at today's next-gen stats, Austin Mack actually led the Giants in separation with four yards per per set, uh, I believe it's, I forget how they calculate it, but four yards of separation per, per route run, which was most in the team over Shepard, over Ingram. And remember, when we first, when the Giants first signed him as the undrafted free agent, as Nick and I talked about on the podcast right after that decision, we like the move a lot for a multitude of reasons. One, this was the deepest wide receiver class we've ever studied, and that means talent was going to fall through the cracks as UDFAs. Two, he played on a stud team from a, from a depth and talent standpoint from a wide receiver perspective at Ohio State, and made plays, by the way, with those quarterbacks. He made big plays in the passing game. And three, he kind of reminded me a little bit of an Adam Thielen type. I mean, we're talking about someone who, again, six foot two, 208 pounds, Arm length, 91st percentile. Hand size, 86th percentile. Actually, according to Mock Draftable, which is an awesome site you guys should check out, one of my favorites during uh, during NFL draft season, he actually has a pretty hilarious number one comparison from an athletic standpoint when they factor in everything, the vertical, the 40, everything, his weight, his size. Guess who he compares most to? DeAndre Hopkins. Now, he's not DeAndre Hopkins. We're not going to come out and say that. Please don't take that athletic comparison for more than it's worth, but... 
when you watch him and when you watch him today he moves smooth he moves faster than someone who's that size and he wears his frame really well i think that austin mack is a really intriguing prospect that i'm really happy got a chance to play today when golden tate was i don't know the spending's not the word coach's decision not to play I was caught a little off guard. I didn't know that would how that's how it would be handled. I don't. I, I respect the way it was handled. I think they he handled it the right, correct way. Um, but ultimately, when you come out here and you see Austin Mack play the way that he did, I don't know for a fact that you know you want Golden Tate back in this rotation because going forward, Golden Tate is not a part of this roster. They're going to eat the dead cap next offseason. They're going to call it another bad Dave Gettleman contract, and they're going to move on from it and take the four point seven million in dead cap. Which, by the way, going into this season, I think there was an out in his contract that the Giants did not exercise because he was suspended. And I understand that from their perspective going into the season. He had a, was coming off a pretty strong year for the Giants. But they'll eat that $4.7 million, I think. So if that's the case, I again, this goes back to my Alfred Morris. This goes back to my... I am... The whole rest of the season for me is an audition for the future. That's how I'm looking at a 2-7 and seven season. I'll never be convinced otherwise. I get it. They're in the hunt for this crap division. But ultimately, what's more important is fixing the future of this franchise and having them be really competitive next year, not a fringe <laughs> division team, assuming the division's as crappy as it is this year, which is unlikely but possible. And so if Austin Mack can maybe factor in there, especially and i haven't studied this and i'm interested to see it if he can be an asset as a perimeter blocker because he's obviously a bigger body than tate and obviously in that sense as well he adds a different dimension than golden tate or sterling Shepard or even darius slayton offers from a size standpoint and then if you watch him on that deep route he ran a really good route and that wasn't his only good well well route well run route of the day so i don't know man i i, I kind of like what i see with with austin mack Absolutely. And uh, the third comparison down is Laquan Treadwell. So <laughs> he's going to fall somewhere between DeAndre And fifth Hopkins. one is Reuben Randall. So <laughs> there's also a Reuben Randall <laughs> sighting on this mock draftable complice. So let's keep it. And then there's a Juju Smith-Schuster. So there, it goes back and forth. Tyler here. Boyd? Yeah. So we've got some decent comps here. But then you see Reuben Randall and you're so, oh, my God. The yeah. flashbacks of the Reuben Randall years just... Uh- Oh, no one wants terrible. to go back to those years. No, no, no. But no, I, I do agree, and I, I'm intrigued to see what Joe Judge does with with Tate. I think Tate's going to just come and rejoin this this team, and it's going to be like, okay, you were disciplined, you served I your you sure you served your sentence, and now you're hmm. back. I, I do love what Joe Judge did, though. Like, you don't go up to the camera and do that. This isn't about you. This is about the team. Yeah. And for me, I, I love setting that precedent early with a veteran player, a player that's probably well respected in the locker room, I'd imagine. And uh, I'm I'm just happy that that was set. I don't want any of that kind of nonsense in this locker room right now, especially with this really young core of players that are on the Giants. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think you, you make a great point, and I also think what you said is true. He will kind of get that one day off, you come back, you served your time type of thing. So let's talk a little bit more offense. Let's talk about Daniel Jones. What did you personally make of Daniel Jones' performance? And I'll get into something, some of that on my on my own. I thought Daniel Jones was fine. I think he missed a couple throws in the flat, which I saw, of course, uh, against Tampa Bay as well. Just high, like mm-hmm. he's putting him a little high, and that's something that he didn't necessarily do last year. But I, again, I want to get to the all twenty-two, see where his feet are, see how his upper body mechanics are, and see exactly what was going on with that. But other than that. He had a couple really nice throws. He didn't make any really egregious mistakes. He didn't turn the ball over, which is gigantic for Daniel Jones. So, I mean, it's definitely a plus, especially from what we saw on Monday night. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think he played fine in this game. I thought he made a really nice throw to Austin Mack. That Mm -hmm. was really good, Daniel Jones. 
I didn't think it was perfect ball placement on the throw to Evan Ingram, but if you watch that throw, he uncorks that thing with a really good amount of velocity and the spin rate on that ball. That ball comes out as a really nice tight spiral, which actually makes a big difference in Evan Ingram's ability to make that catch. And obviously Evan Ingram is a really awkward hands catcher. You can watch that replay and it's just like he makes these catches harder than he needs to. But ultimately, while it wasn't the most perfectly placed ball, it's exactly what we wanted to see, a seam ball in the red zone, and that ball had a lot of zip. That needs zip to get there because the safety can easily close down if you loft that too much. So I thought he made two really good throws there. I didn't really think he made any other spectacular throws. There was a lot of uh, check down type plays, check down type throws from Daniel Jones. Didn't really connect with either Darius Slayton or Sterling Shepard on any, any kind of big time plays. I think ultimately with Jones, this is an okay game. Um, I... With Jones, I don't know where I'm at with Jones. It's it's I don't know the ceiling really with a guy like this because yeah, they won this game, um, and obviously you know he wasn't asked to do too much, so you can't really fault him for that. But then you just watch those games like the Tua Murray shootout, and you watch those guys ball out, and you watch Justin Herbert ball out, and you think you know is there another level for this team if they can get even better quarterback play um, and even more dynamic from a playmaking standpoint quarterback play. And ultimately, I think that answer might be yes there. I think that's fair. Yeah. I do. I think that's Unfortunately. fair. Unfortunately. And I like Daniel Jones, and I think that you can win with Daniel Jones, and I'm not totally off the Daniel Jones ship, but when you do look at what Justin Herbert's doing, and his team's not winning, so it's kind of crazy to think that, but you can easily watch those games and be like, there's something really special about this kid. You see, I, I'm not uh, totally on there with Tua, but you just see what he did. You have to give him so much credit for this win. You see what Kyler Murray and a lot of other young quarterbacks are doing and how they're kind of putting their teams on their back to to win football games. We don't necess- We haven't necessarily seen that from Daniel Jones just yet this season. Now, we saw it last year with the game against Tampa Bay. I think you could say that. I think that's very fair. Got all of us really excited. You can definitely say it when he dropped five touchdowns on Washington in the second matchup too. And I think you look at those things, you say that's great, but we haven't seen it yet this year where he put the team on his back and it was like, hey, we're going to win this football game. Yeah, and I think ultimately, I didn't mean to say I'm anywhere close to sold on to it because I have big question marks about Tua's throwing motion if that's going to hold up it's very loopy um I've always had questions about that but he makes so many dynamic plays but I'm just talking about how he performed today know, in this yeah. specific game he really put that team on his back because that defense which had been playing great football in Miami was not up to par today and they needed Tua to make plays and he did make plays and obviously Kyler Murray's in a whole different spectrum in my mind than Daniel Jones always has been as a prospect and I have not <laughs> wavered on that one but like you mentioned really the only two games where we've seen that kind of hero ball. I actually would throw a third one in there, the Detroit Lions game last season. That was actually, I'll put that game over his Washington football second game. Because that second Washington football game, that Washington football team, man, they looked like they had given up on the coach who was moving out. They had an interim coach in at the time who they weren't playing, in my mind, that hard for. The defense kind of folded in the middle of that game. And I'm not, that's just how I saw that game personally. The Tampa Bay game, the first one, I give him credit for. Again, that's the first time any defense ever saw Daniel Jones, so that has to be put in, kept in mind. But the Detroit Lions game, I thought he did a really good job, actually, of keeping them in that game. They lost that game, obviously, but he was a reason they had any chance because the defense played really bad that game. He yeah, threw a lot of— So many blown coverages in that So that many game. blown coverages yeah. in that game. Um, but ultimately, if we're looking at it in that prism, and now we've, we've ripped through a lot of games now with Daniel Jones. We're through a full 16-plus— um, of his game started and if there's only two and one was against kind of a quit type Washington football team in my mind at the end of that season and the other was the first time anyone's ever saw him and they really should have lost the game if they didn't miss that chip shot field goal it's tough man it's 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 just not enough um 
I stuck up for him for a while, and I still think, again, you could win with a Daniel Jones for sure, just like you can win with a Ryan Tannehill if you put a really good team around them. But ultimately, I just ask for more, I want more, and I think you can have a better chance to win when you get a little bit more out of your quarterback position because ultimately it is it is the most important position by far on the football field. I think it all just comes down to can you get a little bit more any, out of any of these guys coming out in the draft or really anywhere else because Daniel Jones isn't inept by any stretch no. of the imagination. You can win with Daniel Jones. You look around at some of the other quarterbacks, some of them have already been benched this year. I have a lot of question marks about those guys. Now, while I do have some reservations about Daniel Jones and his reckless nature and his ability to really put the team on his back and all those kind of things that you lead to and just kind of decision-making pre- to post-snap stuff we've talked about over a lot of these podcasts, especially recently, uh, I still think he can be successful in this league. And if he if it's not in New York, it could be somewhere else if he does land with a coordinator that does fall in love with this type of player. I'm not done with him by any means, but if the Giants say they lose out and then end up with the number one overall pick. You know, there's there's going to be a, uh, and the Jets somehow beat the Patriots twice or something absolutely ridiculous. And the Giants end up with the number one overall pick here. You're going to go with Lawrence. Like it's, I don't even think that's a question mark. Yeah, I think that one's not even something to even talk yeah. about because if they didn't go with Lawrence, it'd be a devastating decision for the franchise that could ultimately. But that brings in like the Fields and the Lance. I think the real question is if they don't get that first pick, then that's the real the the, the first pick to me. It, it, they're they're unlikely to get it, but if they somehow do get it and they pass on Lawrence, I think it could be a decision that ruins this franchise for decades. I think it could be a franchise altering decision for the worse. I hope it wouldn't go in that direction, but really the other question becomes if they don't get that pick, but they're still in range to get a Wilson who's moving fast up boards right now, just rapid fire. <laughs> I mean, if you saw him against Boise the other night, holy crap, man. He torched that Boise team, just torched them. They came into that game three-point underdogs, Boise, playing pretty good defense, and he just let loose on them and didn't miss any, almost any passes and just looked like an absolute beast yes. out there. So much time to the He has so too. much time to. Oh, I yeah. thought you were talking about he has so much time. That no. BYU line is unbelievable. Well, He's too, playing yeah. behind an unreal offensive line and then obviously the fields and the lance types which you have to obviously factor in as well but ultimately that might be the question but i think where you're at is 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 about where i'm at i mean if they end up ultimately passing on one of those guys and trying to build around jones i'm fine with it i wouldn't be fine with with it i know you're totally cool that i'm i'm more teetering but i am fine with it i wouldn't it's probably not going to be my preferred route i'm probably going to want fields or wilson when i'm all said and done but i'll be okay with it because ultimately and i wouldn't say that by the way, if this team had Drew Locke. I watched Drew Locke play, and I think he's an inept quarterback who misses a ton of throws and cannot move the ball. Daniel Jones can move the ball. He can keep you on schedule sometimes, a, a decent amount of time. He just has the the issues we've talked about before, and ultimately he doesn't have any kind of like doesn't have the biggest kind of playmaking ability yes and that's the thing the biggest playmaking ability would be the thing that i don't think he can really progress on in terms of arm strength stuff like that but i think the other stuff can be cleaned up it's just going to take a lot of him it's going to take a lot of his mental process needs to get better it needs to be refined that can come through coaching and that can come through experience but that's make probably not something that's going to be a snap of the finger overnight kind of thing that's going to be solved that's going to be an overtime kind of thing and we hope to see that this offseason and to Let's, let's be honest here with Daniel Jones. He didn't necessarily have the easiest offseason, nor did anybody, but he is a young quarterback, so he is more affected by that in the new system. I know we make that excuse a lot, but it's real. It's true, and it means something. But maybe if next year, if he is retained going into the third season, which I do believe he's going to be retained, going into the third season, if you could see that pre-post-snap kind of difference, then I would be much more excited about this kid. I, I think I would 100% agree with your overall takeaway on that. My my question mark, I guess, would be 
I don't know, one, if the pre-post-snap progression... I think you said it best. It's not something you can snap your fingers and do overnight. For me, though, it's more so like, I don't know if it can ever be fixed. I think it could be just the way he sees the field and the way he operates. And it might be like we talked about last week when you're yeah. a tennis player or a pitcher and you throw the you pitch one way, you serve one way. It's really... Or golf. For all you golf players out there, you swing one way. It's really hard to change your swing. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I think it's at least a possibility. And so, again, if they do go the route, which we think they will, this is a Mara-run franchise, let's keep that in mind. If they go the route, we think they will, maintaining Dan Jones, passing on Wilson, passing on Fields, um, it's not going to kill the franchise by any means because the good thing is quarterbacks are getting better and better. I've now been reading coaches talking about, because I've noticed, if you've noticed over recent years, quarterbacks are getting a lot better because the coaching is getting much better at the younger levels and you're seeing a lot more talented prospects. This isn't like 15, 20 years ago where there was like, even sooner, uh, more recently than that, there was, you know, a draft, what, five, ten years ago where some teams drafted 28-year-old Brandon Whedon in the first round. Like, just think about that today. That type of pick would never happen. It really would just never happen because the quarterback prospects are getting much better. So ultimately, if they do decide to pass on Wilson or Fields or Lance and they retain Jones and they have another season like this, they'll be right back in the mix the year after, and there'll probably be some good prospects in that draft too that they can move on from Jones for. So that's kind of where we're at there. Um, I believe we'll have to see what happens there overall. What if I told you Trent Richardson was drafted even before that by the same team? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that is true. It was the Browns, so I should, maybe I'm giving too much credit. Um, and maybe no other team would have. But Whedon probably would have went in the second round regardless, even if he didn't go in the first, which is it's amazing. because. But even a couple years ago, I mean, Hayden Hurst, a 26, I think he was 26 at the time, your old tight end was drafted yeah. in the first round before Lamar Jackson by the same team that drafted yeah. Lamar Jackson. There's weird things that go yeah. on in the draft. There's a reason we call the draft a total crapshoot and why we want the Giants to trade down at all times. This is the reason right there. It's an imperfect process you cannot just nail every evaluation dave gettleman anyway let's move on to the defense you want to just touch on evan ingram at all sure yeah where do you want him to go on ingram now that hey he came up with the big catch and i think that's good for him but this is going to be a player who's going to be frustrating i think that i don't think there's ever going to be a time where really bad there's two drops two drops the one that almost led to an interception and the really bad one the one that hit him like right in like the face mask or the chest or wherever it was it's just I don't know if he's ever going to find his his footing here in New York, and I don't know if he can ever. Do you think he can ever be a full time tight end with these kind of drops and the fact that he can't block? I'm out on him regardless of the drops. I just don't want this type of play. unless he moved to a big slot full time. Big slot. Like, if less, they would have to change their whole offense. They have to become a spread based offense that's running mostly, you know, players on the perimeter, like two yeah. receivers on the boundary, one in the slot, and he'd be your big slot. I just don't like ever when he's lined up in line at tight end. It is not. You know, we had, uh, what's his name on, the NFL player who joined us for that podcast Fred earlier this offseason, Fred Smoot, who said, who was watched the Giants tape, and he's like, he's your biggest problem because he kills you. He, when he's on the line of scrimmage, he kills you, and it's true. His, he doesn't have the frame to block in line, and he kills run plays, and he tips off what you want to do. So, ultimately, I just don't see him as an NFL tight end. I can't believe the Giants originally did. I know what they thought. It's Jerry Reese. He saw a guy who ran a 4-4 at 235 and 6-4 and said, holy crap, did we find the next Mike Evans. But ultimately, this isn't Mike Evans. He doesn't box out like Mike Evans does. He doesn't have the hands like Mike Evans does. He's not as savvy with the push-offs and with his route running as Mike Evans is and smooth. He's not any of those things. He's explosive after the catch and he made a really good run in the seam to get that touchdown he really burst into that and made a nice leaping catch there he's a very good athlete that plays football he's a good athlete that plays football and ultimately 
I don't want that as the inline tight end. I've, I've done a real 360 on Ingram. I went into this season because those first few games with Pat Shermer last year, man, he was cooking. He looked like the type of guy you could base your whole offense around and make defenses because he was a mismatch completely in that offense. And then in this offense, he just doesn't feel that way for whatever reason. It's kind of weird, though, because I, I think an argument can be made that the Giants offense is still based on Evan Ingram. Like All these trick plays are all based with Evan Ingram, and Evan Ingram's either used as a decoy or he's the primary guy. And they're, they're not like big dot plays, so they're not as flashy, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of, obviously, the end arounds. There's a lot of little screens, little quick passes to Evan Ingram. It's the offense kind of runs through him, and that makes me also think, what if Saquon Barkley was here? Could we get more from Evan Ingram? And then you just keep kind of like going down that rabbit hole to try to convince yourself that Evan Ingram is good for this team, not long-term, but just good for this team right now. And uh, then you watch him drop two passes, and one almost lead to an interception that already has happened what three times this season like three of daniel two or three of daniel jones's interceptions are direct results of evan ingram so he's just a very frustrating player to own but right now he's a playmaker and that's something the giants don't have a lot of yeah you're right i mean that's a good point too they really if they got rid of an evan ingram type right now they'd be just lacking it would be much easier for defenses to game plan against them either one way or another even if he is making these mind-blowing errors i just ultimately i think you just need to do better as an inline tight end at the inline tight end position yeah. Especially if they're going to be this team that we know they want to be with Joe Judge, with Jason Garrett, mm-hmm. a team that's going to be physical and wants to have games like this where they control the line of scrimmage for a decent portion of this game in the run game. That would be helped so much more if they could find a two-way tight end. Like, even just the Kevin Boss would be an unbelievable find for this franchise. I want to, like, see the snap counts for Levine Toilolo this week because last week I watched some of the film and I'm just not impressed at all by this guy as a blocker. No. He's built up to be this, this blocking tight end, and that's what we all kind of understood the reason why the Giants signed him, and I just don't see it right now. Yeah, I think there's a reason Atlanta moved on from Levine Doyle, and it's because he has the frame to be an unbelievable blocker, and he's just not. He's really, I think Caden Smith, at it might be a better blocker than Levine Toilolo. Toilolo has good footwork or feet. He has quick feet in the in, while pass blocking, I guess yeah, you could say. Yeah, he's better in pass blocking, but for he's, sure. But he, he'll still get overextended, and, and like he can't block pure edges, edges. Yeah. that's hard to do anyways but he's Any probably the end. best bet to do it because he's the most fluid with his feet i guess you could say but yeah no i, I just look at what george kittle and tight ends like that i know we've brought this up before and yep. i would just love to have so even someone like vance mcdonald those guys are kind of like well not vance mcdonald but as far as like the george kittles go yeah, yeah. and the robs gronkowski and oh, kelsey okay. those guys are like unicorns though it's even i feel like they're even more scarce than the deep half safety that can take away that set that deep half of the field they're just like impossible to find teams try to draft them all the time and miss at tight end so often it's a really really uh scarce position in the nfl absolutely which sucks because they had such a nice hit with kevin boss and then the concussions kind of caught up to him wasn't george kittle drafted in 2017 Oh, yeah, he was drafted in the yeah. fifth round of that Evan Ingram draft. But to be fair, Kittle, you know, teams Iowa, passed on him yeah. for five straight rounds. It's amazing. because really. Iowa just misused him like crazy. Yeah, for sure. And he was a former converted wide receiver who's somehow the best blocking tight end in the NFL, which is crazy <laughs> to think about. Like, I can understand a former tackle being the best blocking tight end in the NFL, but he's literally a former receiver converted to tight end, and he's the best blocking it's tight end. It's a testament to him, man, and his yeah, coaching, too. For sure. All right, let's flip it to the defensive side of the ball. Really interesting, weird game, in my opinion, for the defense, because they absolutely dominated the first half of this game. It was a total carryover from what we saw on Monday Night Football against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Just pure domination. Now, to be fair, they rallied to a backup quarterback, but ultimately, I thought they played even better on defense before Alex Smith entered the game. We'll get to that in a bit, but when you look at the game 
total because obviously it's a tale of two halves on the defense side of the ball because Alex Smith came in what mid-second quarter ended up throwing for 325 passing yards and what 10.2 yards per attempt those are wild numbers for a quarterback those are like mind-blowingly good numbers and the Giants what had two sacks in the whole game so one was Leonard Williams who we'll talk about continues to just play like a man possessed trying to get paid and hopefully he'll continue this once he gets paid if it is by the Giants but it's a tale of two halves because they did give up a ton of passing yards but it's weird because of the way it kind of transpired the Giants still forced the Redskins to go three of eight on third downs which is really bad and they didn't attempt one fourth down so they were good on the money downs and they were good in the red zone where again the Reds the Redskins or I'm sorry the Washington football team didn't do too much there but it was kind of first and second down where Alex Smith just chewed up little soft spots in the zone. There was a massive missed tackle, which made me just so appreciative of this Joe Judge team because think about that one play where McLaurin uh, broke the tackle from Logan Ryan and ended up scoring a touchdown. That's like the first time I can remember this happening all season to the Giants. That crap happened so often under James Betcher and even under Spags and obviously the back Perry Fuel. This happens across the NFL. This team's really disciplined and they tackle really well because I can't remember really any other play this season I may be forgetting one but I really can't remember another play as egregious as this as far as a missed tackle that led to a touchdown like this play should have been stopped uh you know around the whatever whatever it was 35 yard line and they would have had to force the the Washington football team to then convert in the red zone turn it into seven which they probably wouldn't have done but aside from that I mean they it seems like they kind of just found ways to chew up yards underneath with McKissick that's exactly their game plan. It was like Alex Smith and J.D. McKissick are just best buds somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Those guys must hang out all the time because it was just McKissick in the flat, McKissick over the middle of the field, McKissick on a trip and release, McKissick on a quick curl. It was all J.D. McKissick, and it's probably really tilting for Antonio Gibson. Fantasy owners, I would imagine. <laughs> but the big shot to Terry McLaurin, I mean, it was in zone. Isaac Yadam tried to get into the zone, tried to make a play on the ball, and then tried to make the tackle, fell off. Logan Ryan did not do his job because Isaac Yadam was kind of in the way, and then McLaurin just ended up housing it for 68 yards. It's not something that we're used to seeing with this defense, but again, not just the sloppy tackling, but the big plays. This defense does not give up big plays, and last year they gave up all the big plays. (laughs) Literally all the big plays in the NFL were given up by James (laughs) Betcher's defense. So it's it's like we're now I feel like we're a little spoiled because it happened on this play and it was somewhat fluky I guess you could say it was a nice pl- pass by Alex Smith great play by Terry McLaurin but the Giants were in the area it wasn't a blown coverage like the Cooper Cup one right. earlier and that's like the only other really and big that was on no temp I'm sorry no huddle up tempo where they pretty much just yeah. caught the Giants off guard the Rams and I should say big plays for touchdowns because this season we've seen our fair share of big plays down the sidelines to set up field goals and set up wins like against Dallas mm-hmm. and obviously against Philadelphia right. which is just heart-wrenching really but I mean the Giants were letting them dink and dunk they were able to move the football and that's kind of been the Achilles heel of the three high cover three quarter quarter half type sure. of defense that Patrick Graham has been running just getting chewed up in that short to intermediate areas and then rallying to the football and I, when I watched the game man I, I mean I even told Dan I was like Man, this Giants team rallies to the football so quickly. And, you know, Blake Martinez is a huge part of that. But even guys like David Mayo, who are just like shot and they look unathletic. And I think on that touchdown play, I think Mayo was out there. But I I just love how fundamentally sound and how hard this defense as a as a whole plays for this coaching staff and how they do rally so damn quickly to the ball. And that allows that zone defense to that allows this team to play zone and allow 
the offense to just throw it in front and then everybody else just come downhill. That's why it's successful most of the time. Yeah, and ultimately it is a bend don't break defense. I mean, that's by definition what we've just like by what you just discussed, it fits all into that bucket of bend don't break. But that's not a bad thing, especially when you're dealing with the talent that they inherited here. They don't have a single edge who wins one on ones. No. I mean, they had two sacks today against a backup quarterback, um, and they don't. The Washington football team does not have any kind of answer at the left tackle position. They have a really big hole there, and yet you know there's no one to win off the edge there for the Giants. Obviously, Fackrell can't do it. Without Carter, he can't do it. They don't have that. O'Shane Zimenez injured as well. They got screwed there. They lost the two guys they were expecting to step up really at that edge position. And I think Lorenzo would have. I do think Lorenzo would have, yes. O'Shane, I'm not really sure. We didn't really yes, see a, a great deal of him. He was quiet a lot. I still think he would have been better than Facker on the edge, personally. Oh, I, I mean, I think you or I could be better than Facker. <laughs> in terms of bend, at least. The guy's not flexible. And no. I'm obviously joking. None of us would. But uh, Actually, Fac- shout out to my boy, Stan Egger. I don't know if you're listening to this podcast, but he texted me, I need 51 off the field. He He's a big, big time. He's an anti-Facker? Anti-51. He did not does not like what he sees from 51. So... I get it. I mean, they need some help at edge. Two sacks in this game again. Because here's the deal. This is why they need help. We talked about the numbers here. 325 yards passing, 10.2 yards per attempt, and only two sacks against Alex Smith. And that's when Washington was in full pass mode, playing from a big hole. That's when the defense is supposed to be able to pin their ears back and get pressure. And the only guy getting pressure was Leonard Williams. And that that's a problem. When that's the case, when you know you can, when you're in pass rush mode and no one can win these one on ones, it's part of what hamstrings Patrick Graham in my mind. And yet he won this football game in large part because the Giants won the key, the money downs. They won the third downs, three of eight. Reds, uh, Washington football win. They won the turnover battle, five to zero. That's the real main reason they won this game. Lost the Bucks game because they lost that. They won the time of possession, thirty six twenty seven to twenty three thirty three, and ultimately. They helped. They they also held up in the red zone. Uh, Washington football team went just one of three in the red zone. So money downs, red zone, turnover battle, time of possession. That's why they won the game. But when I look at this defense, I don't think it's anywhere close to reaching its ceiling under Patrick Graham. Because if they can just get one edge help, one edge to help, and unfortunately, the real sad thing about it is that I do believe what Nick said is true. Carter would have had a breakout year. We both felt that way watching what we saw. It felt like he was he was. First of all, he showed it off a little bit early in the season, especially against the Steelers in that first game, and then as well as in training camp, and he just seemed like such a better fit for this new role where he was just going to honestly brush the passer a lot more than he had during Giants' career. But unfortunately, in my mind, torn Achilles is literally the worst injury you can suffer as an athlete. It potentially could sap him of his burst and athleticism. It's nothing like an ACL. If he suffered an ACL, I think he'd be back next year, his exact same self. They say you can even come back stronger off the ACL. The Achilles is not that. The Achilles can totally ruin a career. So I'm not counting on him moving forward because of that, because there's been very few success stories from the Achilles. Actually, Emmanuel Sanders is one of the few I've seen who's actually been able to come back off the Achilles and look pretty close to where he was at before it. He was ancient when he got hurt, And he was ancient when he got it. But guys like Jimmy Graham totally lost their athleticism after the Achilles. And there's multiple examples. It's known as the worst injury for a football player. It's that or Patella. The Patella Patella is obviously, yeah, that's that's the Richter Richter Cruz. That's that one, actually, you're right, is actually somehow worse. That one you have no shot of coming back from, pretty much. Um, But again, they'll have to find a way to get edge. It's really hard to get edge. You're probably not going to find it in free agency. Look what happened to the Titans who signed Jadavian Clowney. He's a a non-factor. I mean, even... Everson Griffin, we were talking about how great of a signing that was by the Cowboys. They had to trade him. He was so bad. Yeah, it's J- impossible to find edge. In, J- in Jadavian's case, he was getting pressures, at least. But yeah, he didn't even dress this game. He was hurt. And then 
they cut Vic Beasley like the week before he yeah. ends up getting hurt too. So it's like Titans just got rid of all their tendons. It's really didn't hard to find edges. <laughs> it didn't yeah, no, not against the Bears. I will say one thing too about the defense that was a little concerning was was Cam Sims. I felt like was yeah. open on the deep horizontal crosses. So I mean, we're gonna have to check with the all twenty two, but I'm guessing that what they're doing is they're bringing some underneath routes right to those linebackers just to suck those linebackers up just enough, and then bring in somebody from the slot, Cam Sims, as a horizontal cross, and it seems like that worked. A couple mm. different times. I want to see if that was to the weak side because usually to the strength, the Giants will drop like a robber or a buzz type safety down to kind of eliminate deep crossers like that. So maybe they, uh, Washington did it from the weak side. I'm not really, you can't tell from the broadcast angle whatsoever, but I would be curious to see why Cam Sims went for three for 110 on four targets. That's an excellent point, Nick, especially because I do give Scott Turner a lot of credit. I think he's a really bright young offensive mind yeah. in the NFL, and he could have, you know, he's had two games now to work with watching this Patrick Graham defense. And like we've said, Graham's a little bit limited in what he can run from a schematic standpoint. So I think if you have an extra game of tape and you can kind of prepare to beat that, he might have found a way to beat this zone. We'll see. Yeah, or at least put a defender in conflict. In and, conflict and that's yeah. all you're trying to do. Make yeah. that defender choose, okay, am I going to drop or am I going to sink? And whichever one I do, the quarterback's going to throw the ball to the other one. Yep, no doubt. Let's talk some individual players here, Nick. A guy who stood out to me, without a doubt, and it's just becoming one of my favorite players on this defense, Jabril Peppers. Jabril Peppers had three pass defenses, all which were just unbelievable plays on the ball that I thought looked like vintage Jabril Peppers. He then had the interception as well, which is what we've been waiting for, a big play in the passing game, you know, just so he can pad those stats because he is better than anyone realizes when you watch the tape. And it's just like one of those things that like football fans, unless they start seeing the word sack and interception, they're not going to think this player is playing well. And yet, Jarrell Peppers, man, in the run game and now in the pass game and coverage, he's made big plays game. Now, again, you can point to that Eagles play. It's one bad play. It's one bad rep. But you know, the past two games, he's had really good reps in the past game. He's becoming a player I think is coming to his own in this Patrick Graham defense. I think he's a total building block for them. Oh, yeah, totally. And honestly, I was thinking about this, and I haven't studied his tape from the Browns, but the way he's playing the last couple games, I mean, this could be the best Jabril Peppers has ever played as a professional. I think that could be fair to say. Now, I have didn't evaluate the Browns tape extensively, so it might be a little unfair to say that, but he's everywhere all over the field, and you could tell Patrick Graham is just putting so much on his plate. He's basically playing the role that Patrick Graham envisioned for Xavier McKinney. Yes. And he's playing it really well, and he's doing better in coverage, which is something that I feel is his not his strong suit I guess I should say like there was the one play in this game where you could see his aggressiveness and Washington made him pay he bit down to make a big tackle on a screen but the screen was gassed and they brought uh, I think it might have been Sims or one of those other receivers around up the uh, sideline and hit him for like a big like 30 yard gain and that was because they took advantage of Pepper's aggressiveness so it could bite him in the ass sometimes in situations like that but other than that play just from the broadcast angle it's just he's everywhere and he's making plays and both size of the field he might be playing the best football he's ever played yeah I think it's a fair statement to make when this is one of those things where you have to watch the film on him and then you'll see kind of the impact he's truly making oh yeah totally and he's definitely like you said he's not getting the uh the big stats the interception sacks or anything like that granted he had did have a sack a couple games ago against Philadelphia and he probably should have had a sack this game that was taken away from him and ended up Kyle Allen with a busted ankle which is unfortunate prayers to him and uh somebody else though what about uh, good old Blake Martinez doing his thing, though, dude? 
it's amazing what Blake Martinez because here's the deal with Blake Martinez like there's times where the Giants have made these signings and they've started really flashy and they've had a really nice start and then they kind of peter out either in their first season or second season I don't see that coming I think what happened here is the Giants located a player who was playing out of scheme or out of system or just in a system that doesn't maximize his skill set and they said this is what we envision for this position and we think, based on what we saw on the tape, this guy can play this specific role really well. And that's exactly what he's done. It's so consistent. He hasn't had one single bad game with the Giants. And on the flip side, he's really had all great games. It's nine straight great games from Blake Martinez. I can't think of one game where I thought he played poorly. In this game, he made a huge play again with the interception. He had two pass defenses. He leads the team in tackles as usual. He's all over the field, not only in coverage, but in the run game. You can't move the ball on him when you're running right at him. I mean, he is ultimately the best guy, the best linebacker I've seen play in the middle since. I mean, there was a little bit of a flash in the pan with John Beeson when they traded for him before he got injured and he's had all those injuries, but really since Pierce. I think that's fair to say. The thing is, though, like Blake Martinez fit the scheme with the Packers. He had over 100 tackles in, what, three or four seasons. He was excellent. They just didn't retain him for some reason, and I would like to know why. Exactly. I think he's playing better, though, than with this Giants team than he, than he was by, from what I saw then with the Packers, and I'm not sure. I think that's I fair. I would defer to you on as far as what role he's playing. It feels like they, it must, they must be playing him in some sort of different role there. Um, and I know the Packers played a lot of like traditional three four. They had a lot. They for most for most of his years wasn't he with Dom or I know he had. Well, Patton he was with Dom the, Capers and then he was and with Pat last year. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. I just feel like ultimately he might have been a better fit for Dom Capers because like, yeah. I remember when Blake Martinez was a young player. It was like him and Jake Ryan were the linebackers yes. there, and I was like, wow. Well, Blake Martinez is a pretty big stud. I don't know much about this Jake Ryan though. And Martinez kept just racking up the tackles and kind of being a ball hawk. And the, he gets criticized for the coverage thing. I think that's a little bit of an overstated thing here with the New well, York Giants. Well, that's the thing. I don't think the coverage is bad at all. So I think that might be some area where he's taken a big step forward. Well, it's not even just that. It's the way the Giants, the Giants don't run him in man coverage often. Yes. The Giants put him on the line of scrimmage and blitz him a lot whenever mm-hmm. they're in man coverage. They don't really have – they don't trust him in that because that's not necessarily his game. And in zone coverage, they just play the spot drop, going to drop back to a certain depth. I'm going to view the field. I'm going to watch the quarterback's eyes. I'm going to make a play on the quarterback's eyes. I'm going to rally the football and make a tackle. And he's excellent in, in that capacity. And he's also a smart guy, so he has kind of an understanding on, oh, it's a three-by-one set. There's going to be three receivers coming from this side, so I'm going to have to turn run to that side a little bit, keep, get my eyes on those receivers, and then intercept whoever's coming to the middle of the field while also being cognizant of the backside receiver coming if that does happen. So, I, I mean, I think there is a decent amount on his plate uh, here with the New York Giants, but he's not being entrusted to do those man coverage things because that's sure. also to coaching. Patrick Graham isn't putting him into a position to where he may be a liability. And I'm not necessarily saying that he is a liability, but that's not necessarily a strong suit is man coverage, especially against And with the Packers, tenants. he was in ways a liability when used in man coverage. Which was which was somewhat rare, though. I didn't. I, well, on the film that I saw, I didn't see it as much. That they ran, they ran some, zo- they ran a lot of zone there. If I'm not mistaken, I feel like he was from what I saw, and I again, I didn't study too much of Packers film. Like I, neither of us have time to break down 16 games of a Packers season. Watch yeah, Blake yeah. Martinez. That's not, that's not reality. But I think he's attacking more downhill in this defense. Mm-hmm. In my mind, from what I've seen, and you even alluded to it when they put him on the line of scrimmage, which is interesting. Uh, to blitz and so I think that kind of helps his game personally but also maybe take a little walk down narrative street this is a guy who said last year while living 
for not last year, for his entire life of living in Wisconsin, he was literally eating eggs three times a day. He said, I would have a wake up with a breakfast wrap. I would have eggs for lunch. And then he said he would have an omelet for dinner. And then he learned that he was allergic to dairy. I mean, <laughs> what the hell? Like, dude, you're, you're pounding dairy three times a day. And he said he would have milk. He's pounding dairy for all three meals, then learns he's allergic to it completely cuts it out of his diet that's got to help you as a football player it has to help you as an athlete as a human being it's going to help you i can attest this as someone who doesn't do that well with dairy myself yeah you cut that out of your diet like i have life's different man it's a much better life when you cut that crap out i'm not allergic to dairy i just can't really process it that well he he was probably taking halftime doo-doos all the time (laughs) now he has time to review the film and see what's going on now he can turn on the ipad that's a big (laughs) difference right there so listen take a walk down take a walk with us down narrative street and this blake martinez allergic to dairy thing cutting out of his diet i think it's a big deal i'm honestly i don't think that's a bad take I don't think so either. <laughs> I like to walk down Narrow Street. I'm a big Narrow Street guy. I thought Le'Veon Bell was going to break out against the Jets in that return game, that revenge game. I think everybody thought yeah. that. Yeah, a big Narrow Street Very guy. disappointing breakout right yeah. there. He had the wasn't. three catches. He did beat the over, though. I think that I, I took two. I took over catches and over um, longest reception, and he beat those two props. So it wasn't total bust, but obviously wasn't the game people expected. All right. Anyone else on defense? I mean, we have definitely guys to go over, I think, in addition. I mean, I, I, we can talk about Leonard Williams again. Again, clearly at this point, he's making a case to be retained by the Giants, the very least, or at worst, sign a very lucrative contract. At worst, what Javon Hargrave got on the open market, at worst. I think, well, then it, it's tough to say, though, because I really have no idea how COVID is going to impact free agency because there's a chance, and we've seen this before with NFL owners, and they do it behind the scenes, and they never let it come to the service, but you can guarantee it's going on. They collectively agree to bring down the market, and I've seen it happen in this sport so many times, and I think there's a chance that that could happen, that all the owners get together and like, listen, we're all screwed because of COVID. We did not make anywhere near the money we normally make. We all got to be, you know, let's change the, let's not reset the market in frequency. Let's tone it down a little bit. I completely agree. I can definitely see that happening, but that still makes me think how are the players and the agents going to kind of respond to that and True. are there going to be more of these Jadavian Clowney type situations where guys are waiting or even Logan Ryan waited a really long time, wanted to get the money they got or wanted the right situation and Logan Ryan comes to New Jersey or New York or whatever you want to call it. So I think it could be a really interesting storyline and you're right though, Leonard Williams, if if that doesn't happen, Leonard Williams is going to be looking at a fat contract and if the Giants let that walk, they're going to pick up a third round compensatory for the next well not necessarily that only i think people i know you know this nick but i just want to make sure people are aware of this because i see this all the time i mentions. i see people the only way the giants get a compensatory pick if they lose a free agent like leonard williams is they don't match that spending on their own so they would have to do nothing in free agency to get that pick the year that they got it for landon collins is because they were very quiet on the free agent front that season and the only thing i really well i guess i shouldn't say that the giants aren't going to have a ton of cap space we're hoping they make a run at one of these receivers it's something that we've kind of talked about here i don't see i I, this is a whole nother topic for a whole nother day but i don't think the giants ever don't have a ton of cap space in the era of a rookie quarterback contract until they have the eli manning 25 million against the cap i just don't buy it you look at what the eagles have done you look at what the saints have done you look at what the cowboys done i mean right now 
According to the cap, I think I read somewhere, the Saints are projected right now to be $81 million over the cap next offseason. That shouldn't be possible. The fact that that is possible and, the, and that you can maneuver it around there, and I'm sure somehow, magically again, by the next start of next season, they'll be legal when, as far as the cap goes. It shows that you can maneuver this thing. It shows that you can backload and keep kicking the can back and then until you know you keep kicking and kicking it, and then you never have to pay because you're just kicking it another year down the road like these teams have done. And I want the Giants to be that kind of team, especially with a quarterback on a rookie deal. So ultimately, I hope they never really have that quiet of frequency. I understood why they do it during, did it during the landing year. But if a guy like Allen Robinson hits the market or a guy like Curtis Samuel, who I think is completely underutilized in that system because there's just a lot of heads to feed and an unbelievable talent who can do a multitude of things and has the ability to win in deep routes. Very explosive. Extremely explosive receiver who can also come in and do some of the things that Jason Garrett likes to do with the motion. And by the way, was one of the best vertical route runners last year as far as air yards goes and as far as the advanced stats go, but just didn't get the targets from Kyle Allen in that Panther system and hasn't gotten from Bridgewater so far. Someone like him hits the market. I mean, I want them to spend there. I want them to put another weapon there. I'm mainly referring to if Leonard Williams gets the contract that he was looking for, it may lead to the Giants because it's going to be so much money. I don't Mm -hmm. know if the Giants would put another contract out there that's going to match that specific contract and that's fair ultimately like as, as i come to terms with it i i think i i kind of want them to retain both the both the dudes tomlinson williams and go get Allen robinson figure it out later keep kicking that cat back you have a quarterback on a rookie contract who cares you're freaking the eagles and cowboys and saints are spending like no with no regard to the cap it kind of awesome man you got nate's like the nate solder thing yeah his contract kills the Giants, the fact that it was extended now an extra year because he opted out of COVID, and now it's going to be, I want to say, 10-plus million for dead cap if they wanted to cut him, whereas if he did play this season, it would have been like 4 mil against the cap or something like that. But I'm not sure what the Giants are going to do with that. They may still move on, eat the cap. Golden Tate's another person who's probably going to be a cap casualty by the end of the season, especially after what happened today. So that will give the Giants more maneuverability on the wire. But you're right, man. This is a rookie contract. The Giants do need to figure it out, even though they did just go out and spend a decent amount in free agency this past But season. even so, like with the exception of Bradbury, Martinez, uh, Sterling Shepard, I guess, but his contract isn't even that big, they don't really have any big contracts under the cap right now. They have, well, you have three top six picks i guess you could say but that's but that's not, not big lot. those it's are not, not those huge. are not big deals yes. you know those aren't those aren't those are all sub 10 million so yeah. yeah again i really don't think they have much cap at all invested future wise so i to me i think they should be super aggressive at all times really and treat the cap the way that the good that the smart teams treat the cap like the cowboys saints and eagles and there's plenty of examples it's really not just those three tons of teams toy with the cap like it's an absolute joke that it is and it really is. It's it's the softest hard salary cap I've ever seen in my life when you look at some of the things that some of these teams do to get around it. So I hope the Giants are one of those teams. Personally, I think you gain you give yourself an incredible advantage in this sport by just being a kick-the-can-down-the-road can team. Um, but, you know, it could screw you. The Saints and, and the Saints could be headed towards an incredibly weird offseason, uh, and they might get bailed by a Breeze's decision. That's what they're going to get bailed by. Sure, but... Ultimately, when you have a QB on a rookie contract circling back to the Giants, I do believe that's the time to get extremely aggressive. So we'll see what happens there. It's the Seahawks model, man. Yep, for sure. All right, that's it for today's show, the Big Blue Banter Podcast. Thank you again to everybody tuning in. If you want to help us grow the podcast, do us a favor. Like us on Instagram and follow us there at NYBigBlueBanter. Download, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And let us know your feedback on our live Q&A show we did last week on the Locker Room app. We were happy 
to have some of you join us. Shout out to everyone who jumped on that app, asked us questions, interacted with us. We're probably going to do another one of those. We had a ton of questions that were sent in that we didn't get to that weren't asked on live on the show, but sent in beforehand. We're going to do a Q&A pod very soon with your questions, um, anything that didn't make the show. So be on the lookout for that as well. And if you have more questions, send them in to us. Uh, Other than that, have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.